people feel like you need to be courageous to give somebody feedback. But actually, I think that so often we don't have the right conversation because we're concerned about our own discomfort. I might feel uncomfortable about it, or you might get a bit upset or look sad or whatever, and that will make me feel bad. And so instead of giving you the opportunity to grow and improve, I'm just going to hold that back because I'm afraid. And I don't want to be that person, not for myself and not for you. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington with you with the latest edition of Courageous Conversations. And with me, we have the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, Jen Baird. Hey Jen, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Firstly, let's just talk real estate. How, um, what's happening in New Zealand? Have you got the high inflation and increasing interest rates like the rest of the world? Yeah, um, no surprises there. Absolutely. Lots of uncertainty, lots of caution in the market. You know, we've gone from last year having record low levels of property for sale to, um, you know, twice that amount really uh, across the country. And uh, for the first time in a number of years in Auckland last month, we saw the year on year price um, come back a couple of percentage points. So a wildly different market to six or 12 months ago. Uh, But I imagine not just similar to what you're saying. Yeah, certainly we've seen prices coming, starting to come back in, in Sydney. Um, we haven't seen a massive number of properties come on the market yet. Um, I mean, they're, they're properties are coming on, but the numbers are not huge. So we'll see. Yeah, so I think um, we're not seeing a massive flood of new listings. I think that the the number of properties on the market for sale is growing because properties are, are on the market longer. Stock yeah. is not moving to the degree yeah. that it was. Sales volume is down about 28%. Yeah, we're seeing exactly the same thing. I actually even had that conversation with my brother just yesterday saying, wow, I'm seeing so many properties on the market around your place. He's like, yeah, they're just not selling that fast. And that's so exactly to your point. You've had a really interesting, um, really interesting career. Uh, you were saying that you did a marketing degree um, and also Chinese. You lived in Shanghai. Yeah, so I went to the University of Waikato, which was at the end of the street that I grew up on, um, and did a management degree, Bachelor of Management Studies, and majored in international management and marketing and Chinese. Um, So I was in in the first cohort of students at the university that got study scholarships to university in, in China, went to Shanghai International Studies University in 1996. I was 19. It was unbelievable as a 19 year old I'd never been out of New Zealand I had to get a passport for this and I flew into this unbelievably foreign place it was just an incredible life experience I can only imagine I've been I have um, been to Shanghai and it was probably the most difficult place I've ever been to to actually get around because nobody speaks English Um, and so if you found yourself somewhere outside of your hotel without that little card that the the guys at the hotel give you there's just no way to get home 
I forget that when I go to China. So after I, I went, uh, I was backwards and forwards to China for uh, for a few years while I was at uni, uh, but then didn't go for about 18 years. And, you know, that kind of length of time, you know, I flew back into a science fiction film. I mean, it is just astounding how life works in Shanghai these days. Um, but I think that I, you know, I forget how much even a really basic uh, grounding in the language gives you a little bit more confidence in the ability to get around and understand some of the signage. Uh, but I, I think it's a fascinating place. Yeah, I absolutely loved it, although um, probably not in a hurry to go back at the moment with uh, the way the world is right now. Mm, um, so you also um, spent some time living um, in London. Yeah, I did. I did the classic Kiwi OE. I uh, went to London. I actually stayed for five years. So I lived in London for three years um, and worked in institutional financial services and PR in a PR firm that had institutional financial services companies as yeah. Clients, um, and then set up uh, that firm's business in Edinburgh. So I was in Edinburgh for a couple of years as well. And again, you know, a magic experience. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Back to New Zealand and you worked for Barfoot and Thompson um, in marketing, which is a very well-known um, real estate brand, and then headed into council. Yeah, so that really wasn't about moving to council. That was about moving back to my roots and heading back to the mighty Waikato, which is about an hour and a half south of Auckland, moving out of the big city and um, seeing what life in the countryside was like and um, managed to get a role at the Hamilton City Council. So did a comms and marketing role there for only five months, actually. And, you know, it came Christmas time and I wasn't particularly happy doing media relations for a council. It's hard, hard. Um, and then, you know, straight after Christmas, the, the only job in council that I wanted became available and the chief executive took a bit of a punt on me and um, gave me this incredible role as general manager of growth. So really looking at what was the city going to look like in 100 years time, um, all of that long term city planning, economic development, all of the you know consenting functions all the way through building consent, had a whole load of regulatory functions as well. And a really interesting part of the role in the end turned out to be uh, my responsibility for civil defence and emergencies, which included the city's response for COVID-19. That was that's incredible. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about because um, that was a that was a big that that's not a uh, a natural logical progression right yeah. from that comms role into such a senior important role. How did you convince the leadership? I guess that you were um, you were the right person to take that punt on. Well, the chief executive at the time had, uh, uh, he was really committed to building leadership capability across the organisation. And we had a, a fantastic leadership development program um, at council. And he, so when that job came up, he deliberately only recruited internally. So I had all my colleagues to compete with, um, but he really believed in giving people opportunities and pushing them forward. And so when, uh, you know, going into that recruitment process, you know, I'm not a city planner, um, I, and I didn't understand the Resource Management Act. Uh, you know, I don't have a background in building and construction. So I actually did not have any technical capability. But what I did have was leadership skills yeah. and the ability to build relationships and the ability to, to be strategic and understand what those what the leaders in that, organ, in that part of the organisation needed from me at, uh, in order to be really successful. I think that's really what it is. It's about being able to be 
strategic and convincing um, and I guess good under pressure. Yeah. So the um, the recruitment process was really interesting. So the very first part of the recruitment process, I had to do a video, five minute video on what my purpose was. And so that, you know, that's it. Like you've got 24 hours, send me a five minute video about your purpose. So, um, you know, kind of confronting and challenging and you can go any way. And then there was um, this set up in a coffee shop where a member of the public um, came over and was a bit unhappy about rates increases and like, how do you handle that kind of thing? Obviously it was a setup. Yeah. Um, and then a, and then an interview that was not just- Did you with, know that was coming? Like you had no, to go to that? No, no. So this, this random stranger just came up to you and started complaining about rates. Yeah, so um, actually it was it was set up as a friend of the chief executive had come over and said hi to him. And then he takes a call from the mayor and has, he's like, oh, I'll just, I'll be back in a second. And he steps away and you start having a conversation with her and she's like, oh, it starts having this conversation about rates increases. It was... Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he was a little crazy. Fun. Um, but like just kind of really put us through our paces. And then yeah. the, the final interview, and I thought this was really interesting too and something that I often think about for uh, myself, particularly in my current role, when you're recruiting senior people, like who are the people that they need to be able to influence? And is there a way to have those people as part of the recruitment process? So as well as him and another senior leader in the organization, there were two chief executives from major um, city businesses in the room who did the interviews as well. So that was really interesting. Yeah, that's actually very clever. He really thought about what he needed from his leaders. And, and actually, even after getting that role, that was a real function of my relationship with him. He really thought about what is it that I need from my leadership team and how can I enable them to grow those skills? That's really interesting. And it's interesting because we hear so often um, that women will only put their hand up for a job when they think they've got 10 out of 10 of the requirements and men will tick one or two boxes and think, yeah, I can do it. Um, yeah. But you didn't tick any of the technical skills and you still had the confidence to apply for that job. Do you think that would have happened if you hadn't already have been in council for five months? Uh, well, it wouldn't have because they were only recruiting internally. Yeah, right. Um, and also, so I, I'm a real firm believer that opportunities are everywhere and you've just got to decide what you want and doors will open. And I had that Christmas, um, I decided I didn't want to be in the job that I was in. And, I, and in looking around council, the general manager of growth job was the only job I wanted. And so I spent my summer holiday going, okay, well, I don't think the guy who's in that job is going anywhere. So what's my plan B? And I actually spent literally days after reading Eat, Pray, Love, um, uh, writing a business plan for becoming a real estate agent. I was going to give myself till September. And if I didn't get that job or some other great job, I was going to quit everything and start and, and become an agent. I'd, done, I'd written my advertising. I was like, I was ready. But the universe decided that that was not for me. Yeah. Wow. That's so, yeah, that's so interesting. I love it. Now you, um, you, you said that um, Courageous Conversations, the title of this podcast actually resonates um, for you because you are a big, um, you are all about the courageous conversation. Talk to me about the, the courageous conversations that you have to have and how you prepare for them. I have lots of courageous conversations all of the time. And actually probably sometimes one of the uh, women on my team said to me the other day when I said, oh God, you know, I'm a bit intimidated by this particular person that I'm going to have a meeting with. And she said, I can't imagine you being intimidated by anyone. Yeah. 
And, you know, well, of course I am. I'm like a human too. Um, and I think that I, I know that I come across really strong and really confident and have the courage of my convictions yeah. and that I, you know, I can present really well. But underneath all of that, I'm just the same as everybody else. Um, and that's exactly, I, that's exactly why I started this podcast, Jen, because people say the same thing to me. I, I appear to have all of the confidence in the world. Um, but there's still a process, right? There's still some decisions that are really hard to make. There are still some people that um, are intimidating. There are still meetings that you really kind of have to ha- have to have your five minutes of courage, right, to actually go in there. And so that's what I want to be able to impart is that we all we all go through the same thing. Oh, a hundred percent, and literally did not wake up like this. No, that it is it's years of learning stuff. Yeah. of practice, of not being very good, of, you know, ballsing it out. You know, I think about um, public speaking, which I love now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I would always prepare really thoroughly for that, those sorts of things. And, you know, I always felt um, nervous. You know, often I still really do. Um, but you, you learn along the way and you get feedback. And I think that feedback... That I think is is where people feel like you need to be courageous to give somebody feedback. But actually, I think that so often we don't have the right conversation because we're concerned about our own discomfort. I might feel uncomfortable about it or you might get a bit upset or look sad or whatever, and that will make me feel bad. And so instead of giving you the opportunity to grow and improve, I'm just going to hold that back because yeah. I'm afraid. And I don't want to be that person, not for myself and not for you. Yeah, that whole feedback conversation is a really, it is a really interesting one because we don't we don't give feedback readily because a lot of people don't take feedback gracefully, right? A lot of people get very defensive when they um when they're given feedback. Yeah, I had a woman that I used to work with and um, she taught me a lot about feedback about giving it and about receiving it and she reported to me and um she just she had a way of giving feedback that was very straightforward and I had opened the door and I think this is really important for leaders as well you know to actively say over and over and over I want you to give me feedback I want you to tell me you know where I'm doing well where I'm not doing well because often as a leader you just don't get anything yeah. Um, and she would come into my office and say, oh, I just thought I'd give you some feedback about something and boff me in the face. Um, and, you know, sometimes it really hurt. And she had said to me plenty of times, my job is to give you feedback, well, whoever, whoever she's giving feedback to, her job is to provide the feedback. The person on the receiving end, they can take that however they want, but she's not going to own that response. And I've tried very hard to bring that into my own life, that actually, as a leader particularly, um, it's your responsibility to provide feedback to your team. Um, but it, they they will own the response they have. Yeah. And sometimes people, you know, bite back as their initial as their initial reaction. That's not on you as the person giving the feedback. It shouldn't stop you from doing it. Yeah, that, and that's important to remember that. I... I find not everybody's very self-aware. Mm. Like, there's a quote out um, that they did some research. 95% of people think they are self-aware, but only 10 to 15% are. 
Um, and yeah. so it's really that really plays in my head um, when I think I'm I think I'm self-aware. I think I'm one of the 95 percent, but maybe I'm one of the 10 or 15 percent who are not really. Unlikely. But it's, it's a challenge when you're giving somebody feedback and they just don't see themselves that way. They don't see themselves in anything that you're saying you're either open to this stuff or not. And, you know, one of the conversations I have with my leadership team fairly regularly is about growth and who do we need to be in order to be, in order to deliver for this organisation. But you can have that conversation with yourself and your family life. You know, who do I need to be in my relationship or as a parent or whatever in order for this family to be X, Y, Z? Yeah. Um, and what does that mean in terms of my behavior and how I roll and how I interact with the other people in these relationships? Um, and how do I, how do other people help me to see how my behavior is impacting on them? I mean, you, I mean, you have to, if you can't see yourself for the truth of you and you're not going to let anybody show you, then growth is off the agenda for you. Yeah, it's so true. And we could, we all need to learn and grow. It doesn't matter what your what your role is. Um, we all need to learn and grow and change um, because the world around us is changing so fast, right? Yeah, if we approach the world today the way we approached it ten years ago, um, and I love that. Who do you need to be? Question for me. Um, we, uh, a shareholder group, bought out the Lang and Simmons brand twelve months ago, and who I need to be, even though I've been with the brand for a long time. Um, Now that I'm really making the decisions and driving the business in a way that I never had the ability to do before, I have to be brave and I have to be um, prepared to make mistakes and take risks, well-researched and considered risks, but still be brave enough to go, you know what, this is what I believe and this is the direction. So that's 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 a really important question for everybody to ask themselves. I think too we we can catastrophize the downside of some of these decisions as well. Yeah. You know, you think about the decisions that you make, and like you probably make some really big ones. Yeah. Um, but often, like often, you can test your decision making metal on stuff that's much smaller, and you don't have to do that massive thing all in one go, right? You can just take the first step and see how that goes and how you feel about it, and then take another one, another one, another one, another one, and all of a sudden you're halfway there. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the important thing is that you are really clear about the direction that you're going in. Like, what is my purpose or what is my goal? What am I trying to achieve? What's the first thing that I can do? And it, that that not, not only kind of de-risks things um, in general in terms of what you're doing, it de-risks things in your brain and enables you to take some action. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> de-risking things in your brain is a really important thing, right? Yeah. The sleepless nights that we all have. Um, with with things going round and round in circles, right? Mm. We've talked a little bit about purpose. Talk to me about the purpose of RAINZ. So we're really here to champion world-class real estate. So uh, we are very fortunate to have most of the licensed real estate agents in the country as members, about 16,000 of them. Um, so absolutely, I think that's like 93%. And it's a national, um, it's a, unlike um, here in Australia, each state has a different REI. It's a national organisation, right, which gives it so much yeah. strength. 
Yeah, it is. Um, and I think that we're really fortunate in that uh, we have been around for a really long time. So the Institute's been around for more than 100 years. And, you know, in, in 2007, 2008, there was a significant regulatory change in New Zealand, which changed the nature of what this organisation was all about. And the people who were the leaders at uh, the Real Estate Institute at the time made some really great decisions about what this organisation was here to be, anchored that very deeply in um, you know engagement and understanding and connection and support for our membership base um, but we also one of our key roles is uh, around data so all of the real estate firms um, provide the unconditional data to the real estate institute and we then um, aggregate that and uh, provide it back to them in various forms for them to make better business decisions, um, do CMAs, really, you know, up-to-date CMAs and those sorts of things, which, you know, make make us quite embedded with a lot of those organisations as well. That's awesome. So you don't have, do you have CoreLogic over there? Yeah, we do. And in this and in this space, they would be a major competitor. And I look at my team, like we are 32 people in our entire organization. Yeah. Um, so a, a very small number of those people work in um, digital and an even smaller number of, pe- of those people work in data. And CoreLogic, as you well know, I've got billions of dollars. Um, so yeah, we compete directly with them in that space. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things in real estate, right? Why do we give away our data and then let other people sell it back to us? It's um yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And so what um how long have you been um CEO? Um it is a year next week. Well, happy anniversary to you. Thank you. It's been great. Why did you take the job? Having had 10 years in the real estate industry um previously, I just really loved it. Yeah. And it was a great opportunity to see it from a different perspective. It's been really, I mean, Buffett and Thompson, as you well know, a large uh, family-owned business, um, amazing, amazing company. Uh, But I'd never seen outside, never seen over the fence, really. And so it's been an absolute privilege to see such an array of different business models and different personalities and different ways of trying to win in an incredibly uh, competitive uh, industry now. Yeah, it really is. And in New Zealand, you've got some of the best um, best agents in the world. Um, you know, like here in Australia, you've got some really, really great people that, that run incredible businesses. Um, I've been privileged enough to, to go over and see some of them. And, in fact, I'm planning a, um, a study tour um, for my Lang & Simmons team members next year, so I'll absolutely be reaching out to you um, before I plan that. Fantastic. Let's show you around. That'll be great. Yeah, I will look forward to it. So thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting getting to know a little bit more about your story. So thank you so much for sharing. You are very welcome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.